Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. Hello Mr Grayson and this is a podcast that we're recording slightly later than we normally do and part of that is down to uh, circumstances in, in both of our lives but I think a big part of it is just I just have not wanted to speak about Sunday night. No, no. Um, we have... On this podcast, I feel like, and this season is going to be like this, isn't it? It's going to be one's great and the other feels terrible and full of dread. When we started this podcast, we we just, I think our first game was the FA Cup final that we reviewed. Um, and this is by <laughs> far the worst uh, sort of result to discuss, I think. But we'll we'll definitely get into that. We will do. But before we do that, though, we have to return to our weekly commentary quiz. For this segment, what we do is each select a piece of commentary and have to read it to the other person with no context or emotion. And the other person has to try and guess which goal we are speaking about. So today I'm going to go first. And my piece of commentary is Walcott and he can shift. Walcott and he can shift. Oh, uh, oh! Is that the Adibayor goal against Liverpool in the Champions League? It is fantastic. I thought you were going to struggle, and then you just got in there straight away. At, at last, Clive, Clive Tilsley. Yeah, that's the one. Oh, that is the one. Yes, I needed that because I have been diabolical at this. When you listen to them back, I just got. <laughs> I really. I think it was my first one in four or something. Um, yeah, it's to the point where I'm not even counting the score because I actually don't think I'll catch you up. What a run from Theo. That moment was so spectacular. And then the pain and anguish mo- a minute later. I, it's one of those goals as well that I, I remember it so well, but it's it's not because I actually watched the game live. And the reason why I didn't watch it live is because I was playing, I was playing football at a, a, a half-decent level back then. And it was my first game playing for um, the reserves of my of the team I was playing for. And I was really excited about it. And obviously, uh, my dad has traditionally come to all of my matches. Um, and he didn't come to that one because of the Arsenal-Liverpool game. Wow. And I was, uh, at the time, I was fairly, uh, fairly upset about it. But looking back on it now, I, I can completely understand that decision. <laughs> but... Um, it's still one of those ones that I remember it purely because I didn't actually see the game live. And I think that's probably why I still have a bit of nostalgia and a bit, a bit of um, a likeness for those goals from that game because of the fact I didn't actually get to, get to witness all the heartbreak. I just mm. saw the final scores 4-2. Um, and it wasn't you- until I looked into the game more that I was like, oh, OK, that's not good. <laughs> uh, so you did you know you knew the score? You didn't watch it later than everyone else or anything? Uh, no, because it was one of those games. Because it was such a big match, there was no way I was going to get get away with it. Um, and I and I didn't think, as as a newbie coming into the reserve team, I didn't really feel like I could say, "Right, lads, um, I know I'm new, but can no one look at the football score because I want to watch it later." <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't quite have worked. Uh, a wonderful. I mean, that run was special, uh, and he did something. He did a. In the round before against AC Milan, uh, my commentary last week, actually, quite a theme, uh, is he did a, a phenomenal run down the right, Theo. It was a bit frustrating. He never really, he did that twice in his career, didn't he? He did, um, and what frustrated me about it, I, 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 I was probably going to make a, a similar point that you were about to make, is that Walcott's biggest attribute has always been his pace. And for some reason, he, as he got older, seemed more and more reluctant to just knock the ball past players and run. When mm. that seemed like the most effective way that he could get past opponents, um, and it was always really frustrating that he didn't utilise that more throughout his career. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. Um, but it was a really special moment. I guess if you didn't get to it, experience it live. It was that. I really do think that that moment really set the tone, uh, almost for this podcast and what we've had to deal with a lot as Arsenal fans. The minute we're up. We seem to be knocked straight back down. <laughs> and that was in the space of about two minutes. But yes, a, a thematic goal, I'd say, for today. We, 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 we love a false dawn, don't we? <laughs> we really do. We really do. Walcott. 
He can shift. Theo Walcott. He's got three others with him. Liverpool a little bit bare here. Walcott. He's got away from Happier. He's got three to cross to. And a by Okay, uh, the first line I'm going to read you from my commentary is one commentator, and from then on it's a different, uh, it's the co-commentator. Oh, okay, right. I, I thought you had uh, selected two completely different commentators no, from the same No, no, game. no. <laughs> it was, uh, when I did it, it was too obvious if I did a chunk of the, it gave it all away, but I, I want to see if you can get this. So the first line I'll say, I'll sort of pause so you know it's over. And then it's what the COCOM says. Okay. Okay. He's come up with it. That is frightening. Oh my gosh. What is that? Uh, is that the scorpion kick? by <laughs> It is. Very good. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's Martin Tyler. It was sort of a... Oh, he's come up with it. Uh, and then Gary Neville. That is frightening. Oh, my gosh. What is that? Uh... That's, a, that's a wonderful Gary Neville impression. <laughs> <laughs> what an incredible goal. Um, I think that's one of the first sort of uh, like more recent goals that we've actually selected because we, we've tended to just sort of remember things of the past, haven't we? Mm. Well, I actually think it's it's one of those things. I don't think you get the evocative commentary without the evocative goal really and actually that one I mean it, it was so spectacular it's not really remembered for the commentary um but I had a feeling you'd get it with with just enough there uh, I remember that goal was just so spectacular and brilliant and instinctive and it was everything that was great about Giroud the near post run and just that attempt to try the audacity. Um, and it, it's definitely something we're going to talk about strikers, no doubt, and attacking and goals today as we discuss uh, our pitiful <laughs> attack at the moment. But it made you realise, sort of looking back, how good Giroud was. And yeah. that moment was unbelievable. Uh, I remember when they first started analysing it, they gave Sanchez credit for the assist. He deserves none. It was a terrible cross. It was miles behind him. <laughs> How he's decided <laughs> to do that, I don't know. Uh, but he was capable of that kind of stuff, Giroud, which was which was really surprising. Yeah, uh, there's there's two things that instantly come to mind when I when I think about that goal. The first is that Olivier Giroud produced that. I think it was a week after Mkhitaryan had uh, done a similar goal for Manchester United that was nowhere near as good and was also offside. Um, <laughs> so it was it was wonderful that. Um, Giroud managed to usurp uh, a Manchester United player scoring one of the most ridiculous goals of the season within a week. So that was good. <laughs> and the other thing that always stands out to me is the uh, the following uh, game when we played Bournemouth and equalised in the uh, the 90th minute and Giroud did his stupid celebration. <laughs> and that always sticks out because we just equalised and probably still had a bit of time left to try and win the game. And Giroud was dancing around in front of the away end. <laughs> I, was, I was at that game. And Were you? The bloke next to me was going, "Stop fucking celebrating! Stop celebrating and get back to the halfway line." <laughs> you know, like, Can't you just enjoy it? But <laughs> yeah, I've got a question for you, actually, related. Because uh, I thought you were going to say this. Do you know who started the move? Oh. Uh, I'm going to just say no. Straight okay. away, because I, I, I feel like I can see the whole build-up to the goal, but I can't think for the life of me who, uh, it was, who was at the base of it. Yeah, it was a player playing on the right, right wing, uh, who was left-footed. It wasn't goal, was it? No, sadly not. Sadly oh. not. Uh, it was, uh, he slides in uh, and plays it. I, I can't actually remember who he plays it to, actually, but he slides in, intercepts a pass and starts the move. Um, and I'll give you a second clue. He scored against Bournemouth the following week. 
Oh, was it Lucas Perez? It was Lucas Perez. I don't know why that sticks out, but Lucas Perez started that move. What a goal it was the following week, by the way, at Bournemouth. What a strike. What, what a, a strike. strike. <laughs> oh, dear. Two great goals yet again. I suppose we have to touch on the horrible defeat to Aston Villa on Sunday night. Um, I don't really know where to begin because I'm I, as much as I feel like I've had a, a few days to sort of digest it and recover from it. Um, as as you alluded to before we started recording, that it's kind of all come flooding back now that we are doing a podcast. <laughs> so it's. I, th- I think I'm going to have to just let you start because I, I don't think I'm in a place to. <laughs> okay, I'll do. I'll do my best. Well, uh, let's start with the team. Um, and I re- I was having a little look at our WhatsApp messages, uh, saying to you that sort of well, I guess it makes sense to play that team uh, after what they achieved at United. But actually, yeah. I think one of the things that Arteta's been really good at uh, is picking the right team for the right game to execute the right plan against the opposition. And I think he's done that, by and large, right for nearly every game. Yeah. And I think it's the pitfall of being a manager at a big club because I wasn't arguing with that starting eleven before kickoff. The minute the game kicked off, and I do mean the minute, because it took them a minute to score. And uh, I love that, you know, you know, our goal that got disallowed v Leicester sort of was quite a tame header. It's legitimate that if Schmeichel did have his, and he didn't, but let's say he did have his vision blocked by Xhaka, may have saved it. Uh, there could have been three burnt Lenos in goal. <laughs> and he's not saving that. It doesn't matter whether he could see it or not. He's not that's, saving it. That's really made me laugh because I, I was listening to uh, Talk Sport the other day and there was a phone in and um, an Aston Villa fan phoned in and that's the exact point that he made. Yeah. <laughs> and he and he said the exact thing that you just did about th- three Burton <laughs> Really? Okay. Yeah. I promise you I didn't hear it. <laughs> uh, but, but it's so true. It's so true. You could have put anyone you like, Seaman, Lehman and Leno and Emmy Martinez. Uh, that was quite a strike. Um, I, I, I think it, what's interesting is, whilst I think team selection uh, comes into question after the game, but didn't before the game, and, you know, I, I suppose you have to look at it and go, he got it wrong. And I think hopefully I'll to be the first person to admit he got it wrong. I have to say my biggest cause for concern is our attack. And it's pretty well documented now, all the statistics going around, that we haven't scored from open play in, you know, five, four, four or five games at this point. I try and block it out, to be honest. There's a number of minutes and hours at this point. Um, Our best striker didn't have a shot. And we are talking that we played Aston Villa. I think I will be quite, uh, I will be quite evangelical about Aston Villa because I have to say, I thought, how they played in attack was exactly with the kind of verve and thrill and excitement that we would kill for. And it actually leapt out at me off my £14.95 screen um, that I'd paid for, just how different Villa were in attack to us the whole game. 
Um, and that was so striking to me. If you look at their left winger, the our left winger, and you look at sort of if you compare Barkley and Watkins with Willian and Lacazette, I don't think I've ever looked at Aston Villa with complete envy, but I really did and do right now. Yeah, um, I I do as well. Um, I'm just going to touch on uh, Jack Grealish because he is everything that we need. Hmm. Uh, every everything he does is exactly what we need in our team. And if it hadn't have been the fact he was ripping Arsenal to shreds, um, it would have been one of those games that I'd watch as a neutral and just think what a pleasure it was to watch mm-hmm. an individual play because he was fantastic. And every time I've seen him this season in a, in, in a game, he's been just as good and just as um, effective. Um, but it's just... Going back to the team lineup that you that you said again, I I was in agreement. I I I felt that it was it would have been probably a bit surprising had he changed a winning team. Um, but I think we saw probably for the first time a team that um, I think Arteta just took that route of okay, well we won, so we'll stick with that team. And I don't like you said, I don't think he's done that before. He's very much selected a team based on the opponents. And, and the game plan. So that was maybe somewhat surprising. But again, I think we have to go back to the fact that Mikel Arteta is a very inexperienced manager and he is essentially learning on the job. He's having to sort of adapt and change things as they come at him. And we, as much as obviously we we maybe got a little bit carried away um, hmm. after the Man United game, um, I think the biggest problem for me is that Arteta's game plan at the moment is playing with far too fine a margins. Um, it relies on us taking pretty much all our chances and not conceding any goals. And the second we do concede a goal and that that sort of approach goes out the window, um, it's very difficult to recover from. Mm. So I think, for, from my perspective, I think that is our biggest problem at the minute, uh, which is obviously coupled with the lack of attacking threat and a, the lack of creativity. And it's, it's very concerning because I, you just can't see where we're getting goals from. You can't see where we're going to all of a sudden develop an attack unless Arteta changes what he's doing fairly substantially uh, with with whether, whether it's bringing in young players or whether it's changing a system. But something needs to be done because otherwise it's going to be a really, really long and hard season. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And actually, I... I'm going to use this opportunity. I mentioned to you in the build-up, I got a couple of questions because I don't think we want to do this game to death because I think everything was wrong with it and I think a lot of it was fairly obvious. But yeah. I wanted to ask you this. If right now, this very day, you could have Maurizio Pochettino as a manager instead of Arteta to start tomorrow... Would you? God, that is a that's a hell of a question. <laughs> I mean, it's I, I I think I'm gonna answer it in two in two ways. Yeah, I think go the for first it. way the first way I'm gonna answer it is that if you were to bring in uh Maurizio Pochettino, I think you would have more short uh, short-term success than we've got with Arteta at the moment because he's more experienced and has a let's say an established way that he likes to play. So I think from that regard, yes. But because of the sort of enthusiasm that we both have for Mikel Arteta and we do as, as the majority of the Arsenal fan base, I think it's a really exciting journey. And I think long term it's it's really exciting to see where this project could go. Um, so I think if it was for, for short-term success and, and for the short-term future of Arsenal, I think I think you would probably have to say, yeah, I, that maybe would be a better better choice. But long-term, I'm quite excited about what Arteta could do at Arsenal. I think that's probably my answer. Interesting, interesting. It's it's what I think it, the debate opens up is one is more has more guarantees than the other. Yes. And that's the thing is it's hard not to get carried away. I mean, I've, I've said before to not get carried away with Arteta one way or another. 
at the minute, yeah. especially with lockdown, especially, you know, it hurt more because it was at home, right? But all the statistics tell you home or away makes no difference right now. So you've just got to take that as is. You've just got to say, I know that was at home, but it really wasn't a home game. I know we've lost home games 3-0 <laughs> in painful circumstances, but it's just really different. You know, would Villa have gone for it with a full You know, the Arsenal crowd wouldn't have stood for that. It was really interesting um, on, on other podcasts listening to, do you think the crowd, can you imagine what the, I mean, can you imagine what the Emirates would have been like? As the, that third goal went in, I mean, I'm so glad not to be there. I, I was as well, and that was my immediate thought. And that's probably the first time since since lockdown began that I had the feeling of I'm so glad that I'm not at this football match because <laughs> it, it's one thing being at a game when when your your team's losing, and, and that's part of being a fan, um, getting behind your team and trying to support them regardless of the situation. But we know as well as anyone that Arsenal fans can be quite hostile and quite volatile when things aren't going their way. Um, and as you say, when the third goal went in, firstly, there would have been a mass, mass exodus. Um, and secondly, the the atmosphere would have been so, so toxic amongst mm. the fan base um, that it just would have been really unpleasant to be at. So... And then I can't. I just I can't imagine how loud the booze would have been at the end of the game had that had that happened on uh, with with a full crowd. Um, well, let me ask you something. Do loud. you think? Do you think he needed to hear that? Because, or do you think it depends? Do you think the message from the pitch getting rinsed by Dean Smith's Aston Villa um, with Brentford striker Ollie Watkins, who uh, I watched play Barnet and struggle two seasons ago. <laughs> um, you know, the, we're not talking about prime Wayne Rooney and Ronaldo. We, we are still talking about, you know, and I agree with everything you said about Grealish, but it, it is Grealish and Watkins playing for Aston Villa who, you know, aren't going to be in, in the top four and nearly got relegated last year. Um, do you think the message would be received loudly enough? Because that would have been a real moment. That would have been the first time that the fans fully turned. And we know they would. You don't even need to go, well, what? they would. They just really yeah. would. Um, I think it would have had more impact. Uh, I think going into an international break on the back of that would have... It, it will give Arteta food for thought anyway because of the manner of the defeat. But I think going in on the back of a really toxic Emirates Stadium um, would have had more impact on what he's forced to do and maybe more urgency on, on those plans. Uh, so I think, I think there's a point to be made about how, how important having the crowd there for that game would have been. But um, nevertheless, I'm still glad that we weren't there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. I just wonder if he needed to hear it to really understand the dissatisfaction. Yeah, I think, I, I do think, I mean, I mean, only time will tell, but I think mm. there, there's definitely a case to be made that 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 would have been very important to him to 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 be able to have he heard that. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think so. We've got when we get back from this what uh, international break that's going to feel like a lifetime. Uh, we've got Leeds away again. I, I do give less credence to home and away, but still, Wolves home. And then them lot up the road away. And you look at those three games, and I won't lie to you, I don't see a manager who, if he's going to try something, is trying them in those three. No, no. Um, but having said that, I, I, I do question what... I, I think it's a big gamble either way, whether he decides to not try anything or whether he try, decides to try mm. something new. It's a huge gamble because... Looking at those fixtures, there's every chance we could not win a game. Every every chance, um, playing the way we are because we are not creating any chances. Hmm. Whereas if he changes it and tries to go with a bit more creativity in the team, then there's a a, a chance that we just might get something from the, from those games. Which sounds ridiculous. If it, like a week before we were talking about how happy we were with the Man United win. And it's just, it, it, this is just what football is. And I suppose this is why we love football, but it's also why we hate it because it just, it's so unpredictable. And Arsenal Football Club are 
probably more unpredictable than the most. Um, but yeah, that that's probably my summary of that. And I, I I'm not looking. I'm I'm looking forward to the international break being over, but I'm not looking forward to any of those games. No, no, I'm looking forward to the uh, mould away game. Um, yeah, I reckon we might win that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're not great. <laughs> you probably, probably. Um, I think quite a lot. I, I personally think quite a lot of chickens came home to roost. Uh, when you play on the margins. Um, and <laughs> the opposition takes their chance. Well, or Bakayo Saka takes their chance. Um, harsh on him, actually. Um, but you suddenly have to break away from the system and make it more expansive. And what I think we saw from his system is the minute that happens, we become the absolute sieve that we had been under Emery. I mean, this was an Emery performance, but it wasn't an Emery performance of his whole tenure. It was an Emery performance once he looked like he'd lost the dressing room. And what Arteta came in and did was give a structure and a system to these players who previously looked completely uncoachable and made them look like a well-drilled coach team until they yeah. weren't. And on about 60 minutes, we became we collapsed. Um, we, we did. And I, I texted you at the time and said, this could be anything. And it really, yeah. really could have. And as as much as I, I three nil does not flatter Aston Villa at all. No, because we were absolutely shocking. And in the second half, they looked like they could, particularly the second half, they looked like they could score every time they went forward. And the most alarming thing is that, like you said, Arteta came in and put in a structure in place, and we both said that we felt that 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 had sort of disappeared, that opportunity for us to be hammered by teams. And I didn't expect us to be hammered by those sorts of teams like Aston Villa. Um, so it's it, it's really, really alarming because we thought those days had kind of passed. And yeah. this, obviously, as soon as we went behind, all of a sudden we, it, it's, it felt very, very familiar again. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I want to make two, two points. Um, is, is number one, my biggest issue with this football club over the last 10 years or so has been the minute we win the big game, we do not win the next one. Yeah. We do not win it. We always have ability to get flat. The one that always sticks out to me is after we beat Leicester in the last minute where Welbeck scored. And then lost to Old Trafford. <laughs> yeah, we lost to Old Trafford in the league. But worse than that, we had Hull in the FA Cup. Third round. Oh, and we yeah. drew nil-nil. And we played near enough our first team and looked so flat. Then we went and lost at Old Trafford and it was all the air out the balloon straight away. And then we went to Hull and Giroud scored two and I think Walcott scored two. And Theo, remember he told us about that lovely team meeting we had. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But this has been the problem with the club. I actually felt we walked onto the pitch like we were going to win this just by turning up. And I'm so bored of watching Arsenal do that after they win one game, not 10 games in a row one game we get that one big win or we get that last minute winner unexpectedly and we suddenly think we're the dog's bollocks and we're going to be the best team going forward and we absolutely collapse but also my biggest um frustration with the game is that i thought their second goal was absolutely outstanding um i really did i thought the way barkley peeled off the defender the way watkins timed his run douglas Luiz's pass is perfect Ross Barkley with his weaker foot hitting that first time on the volley into that area is fairly unstoppable. And I don't know, I personally can see that that is just a goal that you can't really stop. You could say you could close down Douglas Louise. Yes, you could be tighter. I just think sometimes a team absolutely does you. I didn't have a problem with their second goal. I did have a problem with how, how this team looked at 2-0 down, needing to sustain pressure and sustain attacks and you knew, every person watching that game knew there is only one team scoring the next goal. And it is not us getting back into it. You know, in, there have been many games at the Emirates where we would go 2-0 down, pull one back quite quickly. And we still might lose, but they gave it everything in the last 10. And it's knocking at the door, knocking at the door. They're still booing. <laughs> There's still frustration. There's still fury. But you go, that is a team that knows how to, you know, they did everything they could. In fact, the last time I really remember this was Villa at home last season, actually, where yeah. we just let loose at 2-0 down with 10 men. Um, we let loose and scored three. 
and we were we had that sort of that inevitability of a, a a better team beating a worse team but there was only one inevitable outcome once it went 2-0 and that for me is the most scary thing is we I do feel like we've lost our attacking identity and I do feel like Arteta hasn't shown an aptitude for being able to fix that and that's a huge concern however I did only say last week I'm excited about this journey we're going on because I do believe he will learn. But I do think now we're actually at a point where you look at that and you go, well, if he doesn't learn, it isn't going to work. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I, don't, I don't know. It, it's, it's such a tough time. Um, like, it, 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 on, on the one hand, it looks like it could be quite exciting, but it's it's literally on a, on a knife edge about which way it goes. That's how it feels to me at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And talking of knife edge, I've got my second question for you. <laughs> Feeling how you felt, maybe take yourself back to Sunday, 10 o'clock at night. Oh, thanks for that. <laughs> Pleasure. <laughs> if I offered yeah. you sixth place in the Premier League right now, and we beat every team once and lose to every team once, would you take it? I, pr- I, I probably would because I just, I don't think we got any more about us than that. I don't think we we are capable at the moment with the squad we've got and with the tactics we're sort of putting out. I don't think we're capable of any more. Having said that, we're in a really, really strange season where it looks like teams are going to drop points left, right and centre. So, mm. the, I've kind of talked myself round from my initial statement. So, I probably, I probably wouldn't actually because I think there's, <laughs> there's so much, there's so many anomalies going on that... I, I, I genuinely think anything could happen, um, but realistically, at this stage, I'm 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 very worried about where we're going to finish. Yeah, so I, I, so I wouldn't take that, but I can see the logic in taking it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, I can hear uh, yeah, my dog. trying to. Your dog sounds yeah. how I think all of us feel. Yeah, she's uh my 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 doggy's upset because Laura's just gone out, so uh, she gets very upset when Laura goes out. So I'm trying to, and the other issue, the other issue we've got. Normally, I just shut the door and she can't get in. Um, the other issue I've got is that we're having um, Bambi, stop it. We're having uh, wardrobes put into our bedroom, and as a result, we can't move anywhere because everything's just been blocked off. But um, Bambi, this is ridiculous. Uh, anyway, I think Bambi would be a welcome addition and a lighter touch to the podcast. Um, okay, well, so, she's ready. She's looking at the microphone. She's ready to go. <laughs> no, still nothing. <laughs> little something. That's how I think Hector Bellerin felt when Grealish was running at him. Um, okay, uh, I think I would take it. Uh, if I'm being completely honest, I would take it. And I would say the reason I'd take it is because I don't think we'd actually, we're actually going to get 19 wins, to be honest with you. I don't think we're going to get that close. And I think you look at it and I go, we haven't got enough about us to get above sixth. And actually sixth might be, might just be a really good result um, when all is said and done. Uh, yeah, uh, so I've, uh, I've, I've, my approach now is I'm muting when you're talking. So okay, the, uh, that's going to be very <laughs> fun. This is going to be an end, a, lo- a barrel, <laughs> a barrel of laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> I have to say, you got to keep that segment in. It was spectacular. Um, I will anyway. do. As, as, as you know, I don't cut much when I. Hit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. No, but I think, you know, the authenticity is what makes it so special. Um, that's what, that's I don't, what our fans love. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, on the Tuesday Club, they said, they, uh, they said, how scared are you? Do you know what the next line's going to be? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, out of one to ten, how worried are you about... I mean, the fact Joe Gomez has picked up an injury, Nathan Ake has picked up an injury. There's only one club at the minute who are towards the top, not picking up injuries. (laughs) (laughs) How worried are you? 
Uh, I, I am worried. I'll be honest. Um, I'm really, really worried. And I, I hope after the, after the break, Man City can do something to sort of alleviate those concerns. But I'm, I'm very worried because I think they're picking up wins when they shouldn't be picking up wins. Um, uh, but we'll find out after their next run of games. Uh, we'll find out if they're genuine sort of contenders. But um, but I can't imagine anything worse. I thought I, I, I genuinely thought in my lifetime I wouldn't see them uh, challenge. So I hope that continues. But um, I'm worried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean the season. Yeah, the season Leicester won the league was one of the most terrifying in my lifetime. And actually, I don't think I'll, I'll ever celebrate a goal scored by Chelsea more than Eden Hazard's uh, in that battle of the bridge episode um i'm pretty worried i wasn't then you said something and it got me thinking and then they snuck a win against burnley when they didn't deserve it and then they snuck a win against west brom when they probably didn't deserve it and suddenly the alarm bells ring but then then they really still haven't played anyone but the thing is is at the minute people who haven't played anyone are still dropping points and they just I say they aren't, and then they win. T- the thing is, this is the thing, right? And this actually goes back to our whole dilemma. If we win two games in a row, we will think we're amazing and we'll probably be hoisted to second. And that's the thing with all of this. We don't really care how we win. It's that kind of season where it's just going to be so so up and down. Um, I just think that what we saw against Villa w- were, were greater warning signs, but maybe we're wrong. And maybe, you know, when Leicester won the league... Uh, just because that season I mentioned it, we beat them 5-2 and then they completely changed. Yeah. You never know. I'm not saying we'll win the league. I'm not even suggesting that. I really promise. But I do <laughs> think... <laughs> I, I, I don't, you know, God, no time soon. Um, but I do think that sometimes you need that hiding and better things come from it. That happens a lot, a lot in professional sport that you sort of get your, take your medicine and you grow from it. And that's what we've got to hope for. Yeah, yeah, we really do. We really do. Uh, do you think we've covered <laughs> everything so far? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we've done really well there. I think we've had uh, a successful interve- intervention from Bambi. Um, and we, we got through it. You know, we talked about the game. It's over. I mean, uh, when my dog came in, that did completely throw me. And I, I feel like I was just saying words um, in, in no real, no real coherent order um, for the whole time that she was in here. So uh, it's okay. I can't, can't wait to listen to that back. That's my that's my usual style. Um, words in no real coherent order. Um, oh, dear. Anyway, very good. Yes, I think that that just about wraps things up for part one. So, part two that we always, always return to, uh, we look at a classic Arsenal kit from years gone by, and we talk about some goals that instantly come to mind when we think of it. Now, the shirt that we're going to talk about today is the 98-99 home shirt. So, Arsenal took this shirt as defending champions, and it's one of those shirts that I, I, I think it's the first shirt that I saw that completely blew my mind and I don't know really know why that was um but I think because traditionally Arsenal obviously with the red and white shirts and all of a sudden we had these interesting blue stripes going down the sides of the shirt and it completely blew me away and it <laughs> I, I feel like my my reaction as a kid to seeing that was what some people would how some people would react if they saw a spaceship so <laughs> <laughs> so you're comparing navy trim to a spaceship <laughs> I, I am to my uh, eight-year-old mind, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Um, okay, so, Andre, would you like to go first this week? Yes, I would. And I will go with uh, a game very early on in the season. Uh, was it the first game? No. Uh, no, it wasn't. But it was early in the season, uh, and my memories of this, so 98, 99, I would have been seven. And I was on a family holiday in Stresa in Sicily. And we were going out to watch the game uh, with some, some friends we'd met there. And there was a girl there my age uh, who I completely ignored, uh, who I was meant to talk to whilst I watched <laughs> Arsenal v Nottingham Forest intently. <laughs> Most seven-year-olds, you know, don't really hold a game. 
they don't I, I did i watched many many 90 minute games at a very very young age and this was one of them um fantastic uh, you, you said when we were texting about this fantastic limbs in the away end so uh, overmars uh, Nottingham Forest have a bizarrely high line against someone with the pace of Mark Overmars. I mean, they had a season to look at him. Um, he bursts through their back line, uh, through one-on-one, tries to slot it. It's saved by the keeper, loops up in the air, and he sort of... Uh, it, it's not quite an overhead kick. Sort of, he's he's, uh, he's coming back at it. He's on at an angle sort of to the side, a side overhead kick bit scissory uh, and loops it over the forest keeper to make it 2-1 shortly after they'd just equalised. Um, we'll sort of sign a champion's goal, stamping our authority. Uh, yeah, really fantastic goal. Um, and one of the, uh, re- well, it's the only time I remember us playing Nottingham Forest in the league as well. And it, it just always takes me back to that holiday and watching it there as... <laughs> um, and then watching it back now, just a fantastic finish and, and a, a great win at the time. Yeah, it really was a great win. And I I, I texted you back straight away and said, I love that goal. Um, and it's one of those goals that's just, it's just about pure pace, isn't it? Like that's all, that's all it's about. It's about how mm. quick Mark Overmars uh, was. And obviously it's a very clever finish as well, but a really, a really nice goal to kick us off. Which then leads me on to my first goal. So my first goal, um, and the, this is probably the first goal that I think of completely when I when I think of this shirt, um, is from a three-one win away at Tottenham in 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 the running to the to the title mm. that season. And this was just before we collapsed and ultimately lost our title. But it is Emmanuel Petit's goal at White Hart Lane. And this is a goal that I love, not only for the fact that it's a rare petit goal, but because of the majestic pass by Dennis Bergkamp to play the ball into the path of petit, where petit's touch means that the ball was bounced up a little bit. And rather than panicking or anything, he just lofts it over the goalkeeper with a fantastic lob and then runs towards the, towards the away end. And it just, for me, that's, that, that summarised just how special Dennis Bergkamp was. And it was a season that he kind of took a back seat from where he was the previous season. When the previous season, he completely dominated things and he was our top goal scorer. And with the emergence of Nicholas Anelka, he kind of didn't need to do that as much to drop back into that deeper playmaking role. And there were so many occasions during that season where he shone just doing what Dennis Bergkamp does best. Uh, I remember a game at home to Leicester where, I think was it four assists, I think, Bergkamp got in the same game? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Anelka scored a hat-trick in that game and Ray Parler got two but it was, there were was so many moments throughout that campaign that Bergkamp just wowed me and I think that was the first the first season as, as a really young child that I really appreciated what an incredible footballer he was but also what an incredible uh, how incredible a footballer could be even without scoring a goal and I mm-hmm. think that was a really pivotal moment for me growing up as a football supporter so I've kind of talked more about the creation of the goal than the goal itself. But for me, that's what my takeaway from it is. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, I was actually listening to a podcast uh, where Thierry Henry was a guest, uh, very rare. And in this podcast, he was mainly asked about his trials and tribulations in the MLS at the moment. Uh, Not the MLS. That's a terrible thing. Freudian slip there in MLS with his Montreal impact. It was in the build up to decision day. Uh, where basically most of the league get put into playoffs and about three teams don't. Uh, And he was saying, even in that, he did a whole uh, eulogy about how wonderful Leo Messi is. And the guy went, is that the best guy you've played with? And he was like, no, 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 that's Dennis Bergkamp. (laughs) He stopped him (laughs) in his tracks. He was like, no, no, don't say something. He almost was like, don't be stupid. Uh, (laughs) What kind of question that? It's Dennis Bergkamp. Thank you. Please don't say such things. Um, (laughs) Which compared to Leo Messi says kind of everything. Um, uh, One of the goals, I also love the goal in that game from Carnu, which isn't one we're going to talk about, but that was also a a fantastic goal in that game. Um, Great to beat them at their place. I watched that game at Highbury. Um, on the big screen. Do you ever do you ever go to those and remember? I never went. I I never went to them. No, but I can imagine that would have been tremendous fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun because you had you had a really sort of spicy atmosphere, 
Um, yeah, I did it two years in a row because there was the Vieira one all. Uh, yeah. I think the season after, maybe. Um, well, I, I think I'll, it, I'll, I think it might have been, maybe yeah. even a couple of seasons after. But I certainly remember it, it was uh, it's fantastic sitting in the uh, West Stand at Highbury. Um, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, and also a perch I had from the West Stand at Highbury brings me on to my second goal, which was uh, the Super Swedes debut uh, against Manchester United. We won three nil. Um, we played fantastically, 2-0 up. Jungberg comes off the bench and no one knew how to say his name. Um, and he comes on and within a couple of minutes, he's lobbing the ball over... It wouldn't have been... Would it have been Bartes at that point? I, I wanna, I've, I've got a feeling it might have been like Bosnich? Van Gaal or something. Maybe. Maybe. I, I might be Mark Bosnich. Anyway, he lofts it over whoever is in goal for Man United that day. Um with such delicacy, but it capped. And it was just one of those really wonderful moments because they were they were our full-blooded rivals uh, that season. We won't talk about what they went on to do that season. Um, but just a fantastic lob. But it was the excitement of seeing a player on his debut. Um, and it was such a fantastic atmosphere at Highbury that day. One of, the, uh, one of the rare ones I was at when it comes to Highbury, but absolutely fantastic. I know what you mean about um, the excitement of when a player makes his debut. I, w- I was at the game when, uh, <laughs> this is slightly slightly different, but Thomas Daniel Lavicious made his debut. <laughs> <laughs> Only slightly. I was at that game. And even even though I had no idea who the player was, and obviously most Arsenal fans probably don't know who he is, um, I was tremendously excited about seeing this new player playing for Arsenal. It, it's like when you get anything new. It's, it, it's new and shiny and you think it's going to be fantastic, whatever it is as a kid. And that was certainly one of them. But uh, yeah, a similar sensation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did, uh, he sadly didn't score a chip on his debut. Uh, no, he did nothing. <laughs> uh, okay, that brings me on to my second goal. And I, I spoke about this player when I was describing my first goal because we, we mentioned about his uh, partnership with Dennis Bergkamp. So this is a goal scored by Nicholas Anelka. And he scored some great goals for Arsenal. And as much as he left Arsenal in uh, somewhat acrimonious circumstances, he's still a player that was exceptional for the time that he was at the club as 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 an 18 and then a 19 year old uh, he really was um, an incredible talent and he looked like he had the world at his feet when he was at Arsenal and obviously his career sort of went down a bit a bit of a, a strange trajectory shall we say but nonetheless he he was a fantastic player and the goal I'm going to talk about is another away from home so it's quite quite coincidental that you've picked two home goals and I've picked two away goals um, and it was away at Blackburn and it was a goal that he got the ball on the outside of the box and just put his foot through it and it's gone into the bottom corner in off the right hand post and then bounced across goal into the far into the far side and I think what I love about the goal the most is again not so much it's like it's a goal against Blackburn Rovers so it's not exactly a pivotal goal um having said that that was at a time when they were still a competitive side and only a few years after they'd won the title but it's one of those goals that it's just about pure power um everything every goal like that looks so much better when it hits the woodwork and it bounces Mm. in and it's the noise that it makes and it's just a goal that I I think is very un-Arsenal like because there's nothing creative about it there's nothing um, ingenious about it. It's a player putting his foot through the ball and hammering it in off the post. And I think that's what I loved about it. And that's what Anelka was capable of as well. Um, a lot of his goals that he scored were those powerful finishes where um, it, it wasn't so much thinking about how can I make this look nice. It's about how I can be the most effective player that I can. And as much as... Nicholas Anelka was an intelligent footballer. He was a, a really, really exceptional striker. And anyone that has watched the uh, the documentary about Nicholas Anelka on um, on Netflix uh, will will be able to testify that all of his peers will appreciate what a fantastic player he was. And there were so many examples of ex-footballers coming out and saying that he was one of the best talents they'd ever seen. 
And I think we were seeing that at Arsenal. And it's just, it's, for me, it's just so disappointing that we weren't able to keep hold of him because I think he could have had an incredible legacy at the club had we kept hold of him. But then we might not have had Thierry Henry. So mm. every, every cloud. My big regret with Anelka isn't actually uh, wonderfully described the goal, by the way. Um, my biggest regret with Anelka isn't the fact he left. It's the fact he didn't come back from Bolton. Yeah, that I, was, I agree. That because was that, the that was, that the was one. made for us. We needed we needed uh, a player that could score goals, and that just looked like a no brainer. It really looked like a no brainer because I think Anelka had been, has been quite vocal throughout his career about regretting not working with Arsene Wenger for longer, um, and I think that was such a good opportunity for us to get him back. Um, and I think the immediate future of Arsenal could have been slightly different had we not done that. So I'm in complete agreement with you about that that statement. There we go. There we go, Tom. Well, a wonderful, a wonderful time was had by all for that podcast. <laughs> um, I, I, again, it's, it, when, whenever we do these ones about after negative results, I do find it quite therapeutic and find it quite quite cathartic to sort of come back into it and look at it in a, maybe in a slightly different way. And it does invariably make me feel a bit better. So thank you for that. No, thank you. Yeah. I, I have to say, I think there's certain factors that went into it that are worse. And I think the fact you've got to stew on a result like that for two weeks is one of the hardest, but such as football, at least, you know, international friendlies are really important. They are. They are. They're so important, particularly at this time when football's crammed into every day of the week. Um, and footballers are being pushed to the absolute limits. It's definitely, definitely important that England are going to play the Republic of Ireland. <laughs> yes, I will. I will ignore that game. Um, I actually, I say that is is mains it mainsley. Wow, it's been a long day, Tom. Uh, I think Ainsley <laughs> and Bukayo might play. I, I might even so I just I cannot watch England. I just I like I always make myself do it because I feel like I feel obliged to. But I just don't enjoy watching England at all. So I might flick between that and uh, I think Scotland are playing Serbia today. In, uh, oh, that's in, a big game, isn't it? That's a qualifier. qualifier. So I, I might watch some of that. But um, yeah, that's uh, obviously by the time this podcast goes out, those games would have been and gone. So uh, no mm. doubt we will be retrospectively regretting well, those decisions. Let me, just, let me just say this. I actually have a ticket for Euro 2021 20, now at Hampton Park in the group stages. Uh, either Serbia or Scotland will be playing at them. I can confirm I would much rather watch Scotland in Scotland because I think that would be electric. Watching Serbia, v, I think they go into England's group as well. Yeah. Um, it will be Serbia v like Croatia is not my idea of fun. <laughs> no, Scot Scotland at home in Ca uh, at Hampton would be... Incredible! I need to see a Camden then. <laughs> they were in Camden. Scotland playing at home days at Camden Lock. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so oh, on on that note, that brings us nicely to the end of the podcast. Um, it's been a pleasure talking as always, Mister Grayson. Yeah, absolute pleasure, my friend. And if you'd like to see what else we're up to, we are on social media channels, so you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, by searching for The Boys in Red and White. And we also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. So thank you for your time, Andre, and we will be back again next week with another podcast.